Hello, family, and welcome to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Godanio. Today, I'm joined with Jengis Musa. Jengis is a spiritual explorer. He is an artist, and he is a divine member of my soul tribe. And I'm very grateful that you decided to come onto the podcast and share pieces of your journey with us today. So I think we're going to do it a little bit more interview style, and we're going to do some questions. Uh, I happen to know a little bit about Jengis, and his story is fascinating. So maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where you were born, uh, your religious background. Uh, thanks for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I was born in Azerbaijan in 1982, so I was part of the Soviet Union at that time. Uh so, since being a communist country, the religion was kind of suppressed, so there was not a lot of uh, religious freedom. But uh, my grandmother, from my mother's side, was very uh, religious, and she always raised us according, you know, like when we would go to her house, it was different rules compared to the other grandma's house. But, you know, we basically learned the basics from there. And uh, my family was not religious at all, mainly. Uh, but it was a Muslim country in the Soviet time where we were, you know, kind of frowned upon, I guess. Uh, so, Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, and the Soviet republics were going through, you know, they all started to get their own independence, so did Azerbaijan. So Azerbaijan tried it in 89, 1991, and at that time, um, so there was a lot of uh, instability in the country. So uh, there was a... Um, there were uh, attacks, and we had a war with the neighboring country. So it was like a very tense situation all the time at that time. In the 90s, it was terrible over there. Uh, so my uncle came to America for in like late 80s, right before communism ended, I think. And he came, he was an artist, so he came for his like artistic freedoms, and he wanted to paint. And all he had to pay back in the old country was like the... Communist propaganda, as all it was, is just like Stalin and Lenin paintings. Uh, I guess that has a lot of huge influence in my work, in a way. Um, but so, in that, uh, when he came uh, to America, then he got married, then his and his wife visited, and they, first, first time they visited, I fell in love with them. And the second time they came, uh, they brought me to America. I was begging my mom to let me go to come to America. Because I was like, there's no opportunity here. What am I going to do? The, you know. And, you know, I had my own vision of America. You know, like you see movies. I thought it was like everybody lived like in Home Alone, the movie. Like everybody's families, the ginormous house with Christmas presents. And, and I was like, oh, my God, can't wait, you know. And then you come. <laughs> the reality hits you, in a way, you know. Uh, so I came to America in 1935. I was 13 years old. Um, and I didn't speak English, so I had to start you know, from, I feel like my life started all over again. You know, it was like being born again. I think it's so, like not in a religious way, but, you know, like uh, as an experience. And I uh, I love that and feel like that way in a lot of things in my life, in a way, you know. Uh, I was a drug addict before and all that. And that was another life, like, you know what I mean? It's like after that ends, you know, you. It's like, boop, another one. So I think you can live many lives in this world. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's up to you. you I know. definitely have lived yeah, multiple that part lifetimes of, in this yeah, one to lifetime. Me, that's, 
that's always was my kind of my thing. You know, when you're a kid, they're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be everything. You know, I was like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be a butcher. <laughs> I want to be a truck driver. Yeah. Very low ambitions, but I haven't achieved any of them. <laughs> so that transition from, uh, my painting God, fell down. Yeah. God was like, what? Not that painting. Right. Um, so that transition from Azerbaijan to America and then settling into the American life and adapting, learning a new language and yeah, becoming, becoming a, an, an American, um, that must've been, yeah, really challenging. Like you kind of shared, it wasn't exactly how you thought it was in the movies and stuff. And it, yeah. What did your life look like growing up uh, in your team well, in America? Well, it was interesting because it was just, I was very scared to be honest, you know, it was very scary. It wasn't what I expected. Like I thought it would be like a safety place, you know, because coming from like uh, Azerbaijan where there was wars and, you know what I mean? There's all kind of stuff happening at that time. And so, you know, it felt like, oh, America will be a different type of way. Like, you know, it'd be like a blank safety blanket. You know, it is in a way, but I automatically assume that, <laughs> you know, you got to work for that part, you know. So when I came here, I didn't speak English. So I like, they left me a year behind so I could learn English. I went to a Catholic school for junior high. So seventh and eighth grade, I went to Catholic school. And then four years of high school, I went to Catholic school as well. Um, that's how I was like, got student visa. I was able to stay legal in America. That's the reason I went to a Catholic school, not that I converted to Catholicism. But while I was at it, I was, uh, so before I was came to America, I would like to go back a little bit. When my uncle and aunt came, uh, they brought with them this beautiful, lost spirituality in Azerbaijan at least because of the Soviet times, because of the Soviet Union. Uh, they brought back Sufism to Azerbaijan in a way, you know, um, at least from my experience, they brought it to my world. And at that time, I fell in love with it, you know. It was like most peaceful mysticism. It was all about love. You know, it was not like so strict about everything, like you got to do this, you got to do that. It is about that, but like it's about knowing yourself and then letting yourself, allowing yourself. If you allow, you know, like they, there's a saying like only how well you know yourself, then you could drink the alcoholic if you want. But if you got to know yourself so well, not be an alcoholic, but have, you know what I mean? If, you, if you're a drinker, if you know yourself really well, you'll be okay. But like people uh, like myself who was lost inside when I drank, it was like, I got lost. You know what I mean? I'm, I didn't know which direction, who am I? You question yourself a lot more. But uh, America was tough, to be honest, to come here because I started working right away. I didn't expect that, but I had to pay for my tuition. Um, I did. I was mopping floors at a dance studio. Um, then, uh, yeah, I went to four years of uh, high school. I graduated from LaSalle Academy. And then I went to college as well. Uh, but uh, my uncle and aunt got divorced in between that time. So I was just basically on my own most of my life in New York. And I enjoyed it in a way, you know, but I had to do it too. But kind of which kid wouldn't enjoy being 16, 17 in New York City? It was like home alone, but, you know, adult version. <laughs> 
So okay. let's see if we can try to find the transition into the spiritual awakening journey. So okay. yeah, what? So yeah, tell us like how that transpired. So I was very, I guess, because the, we didn't have that much religion. So I was back in Azerbaijan. So to me, it was like the opening of like. I could learn about all of it, you know what I mean? So I started learning a lot, you know, Catholicism in high school. And I was like, okay, Old Testament, New Testament. So we're, uh, there was a Sufi group in in America, in New York, and in North Carolina. And we used to go to retreats there. It was like a lot, big following. And, you know, we would do the zikrs, which is like a prayers and dance, the prayers and singing, but it's like in all harmony, you know? Um what happened was um, I was a, I was going to those things and I was like always loved it, you know. It was, but then like I guess in certain age you become, you know, rebellious and angry at the world. So you start trying to push yourself away from the truth, you know. You don't you don't you don't want to accept the truth, you know. You're like, nah, nah, I know better, you know. So I I went my own way in a way, and I started becoming like. Really, like, I atheist to be honest. I was, a, I became a hardcore atheist because I was angry at the way things were going in my life that they weren't going according to my plan or according to what I expected. But you know, uh, but the beauty of the pain and suffering is amazing. So to me, honestly, I sound so cheesy and cliche when people say like, oh, "I'm going to change a thing about my life" or whatever. But you know, I think a, a lot of my artwork now comes out from that because I didn't paint till I was 34 years old and I started so late like starting at that whole another newborn again you know what I mean another career another life and that changed a lot for me because like all those experiences are what that's coming out because I don't have uh, anything to look and paint I paint from the heart so I go into it like blank canvas and I just like start with a dot and then you know I continue on and then I look back there's something else you know like I don't go with a vision like at first so it comes out whatever comes out I think it comes alive from the experience of my dreams to be honest and that's about it okay so let's talk about how did you transition into this new life of painting like what kind of sparked that creativity for you so in 2014, 14 or 13, it was around then. And I was a heavy drug addict. I was a heroin addict. And I was doing all kinds of things, drinking and all that. I was really heavily addicted to everything in life. Everything that's bad, basically. Not, the, not one good thing, I guess. You know? Uh, then... To clean up, uh, I, oh, so it was so funny uh, for me. It was, I remember a friend of mine told me to watch Law and Order, and I never watched Law and Order in my life, you know, like I was heard about it. And one day, I'm like watching Law and Order, and I see this like one episode I watched, like I, I feel like it was the only episode I watched. And it was an episode about a guy, this kid who was like a heroin addict, and then this. He goes to school and he gives him a meta, uh, ID gate. And the kid kicks it in 24 hours. I was like, impossible. There's no such thing as 
that magical drug that just cleans you up, you know? So after when I decided to get go clean, I looked it up. I was like, you know, there is this drug. I think, you know, I, I didn't believe it. And then I watched it and I saw, uh, what do you call it? There was a vice, I started doing a little research and there's like a vice in a documentary about a guy who went to Mexico and got it done and it worked for him. I was like, this is amazing. So I was like, I asked my family members to help me out. At this time, I was at my loans and I didn't have anything. And they helped me out. God bless them. They sent me to Mexico and I went to Mexico and I took the drug. And I mean, the experience is, I can't even talk about it. Like, it's, you know, unspeakable. But that basically sparked the. Uh, so I did quit in 36 hours. I was clean. I had, I saw some things and that sparked my spirituality in a way where I was like, as much as I try to avoid it all my life, like try and get away from it because I knew what the truth was, but I was avoiding the truth, you know? And then seeing the truth in my trip when I was like uh, going to, I had the drugs in my system. And it was like amazing. I mean, the things you saw, I mean, there were a lot of dark things that I experienced where all the bad things I've done, I had to own up, uh, you know, own up to accept and know that there's always a choice. You always have a choice. If you might not, not be a good choice for you, but there's always a choice. You know what I mean? So it's up to you. Uh, after that, I, I saw so many beautiful lights and colors. And when I got back, I was telling my cousin and my cousin was like, oh, you should look, look up uh, artists named Alex Gray, he does, yeah. So I started looking at his stuff. He's like, I was like, oh my God, this is what I was seeing. You know, it's amazing. So I was like, I want to describe the ones I saw, like, you know, what I saw, really. So at that time, I started going to a rehab type of place. It was, a, a rehab, it was like, it was a community type of thing. You go paint, it's like therapy, painting therapy or paint therapy, I guess they call it. So I would go there and then I was like, oh, you know, I was like just playing around with the paintings. And so I just got all the stuff that I wanted to get out. But like, it didn't come out the way I wanted. I'm like, look at that. It's like a two-year-old child painting it. So I was like, ah, oh, that's not working out. Nah, that's not good. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It calmed me. It stopped me from like, my anxiety was so much after I got out of, uh, I quit the drugs. And I did, because it was like, I woke up to reality. Sound like Eminem now. But go to reality. So uh, I woke up to like all the body aches start hitting me like they're like to their max, all anxiety. I was trying to diaper commercials on TV. I was that emotional about everything and sensitive. But and in that, uh, just to go back to the, in the, to the trip, uh, I felt like life is so simple. You know, like, like original life, not the one that we live in, not this reality that we're in, where materialism and people like chasing these dreams and they, that dream. I mean, the simplicity of life, how beautiful, how in touch we could be with humanity, with, with nature and the world and earth and stars. Every, it's all connected, you know. So to me, that was like that part. Uh, I don't know if you want me to get into details, but it was a really good, amazing experience. So I basically wanted to paint that. And then I moved to Alaska right away after I got clean. Like three months after I got clean, I went to move to Alaska. 
I want to go be a um, commercial fisherman. I was like, it's good money in it. And I was sober, so I was like very active. I was like, it would be perfect for me, you know, I could get move around. You know, I had so much energy because uh, I have to stop doing drugs and drinking, you know. And I ended up going there. And my first day I go, I slipped and I broke my ribs. I was like, oh my God. Like I slipped the stairs. I didn't know how rainy it was for there. So I came out with flip flops and I slipped up the wooden uh, stairs and I cracked my ribs. I was like, oh my God. And the fishing season is like seasonal. Like I could go whenever I want. So I missed the beginning of the season. I just went for that. I missed that. I ended up fishing in it anyway, eventually, like later on, like four years later after. But I never got to fish again. I started bartending again. I started going into the same routine as always before. So I kind of lost my way again. Uh, I didn't lose it, though. I think that was like the intuition I had inside me to go to Alaska. Like it was not over yet, like my journey in this life, like in the, in that lifestyle, I felt like. That was like the true feeling I had. Maybe I was lying to myself. I don't know. But I think it worked out because, you know what I mean? It was meant to be because that's where I started painting, really. You know, like that was just in therapy I did painting there. But when I was in Alaska, like, you know, I, would do, I had like roommates and would do like a painting party. It was like a couple of girls and we're like hang out and paint to kill time. You know, there's a lot of like down to earth people in Alaska in touch with nature, a lot of marine biologists. So it was a lot of like very aware people. So we start painting there, like just joking around. And then I had the paints left over. So I was like, start doing it here and there for myself when I was bored because the winters were dreadingly depressing. Like, I mean, they would be pitch black for 18 hours a day. It's raining. I was in Juneau, so it's the rainforest and it rained there all the time. So that rain just got you so depressed. So I started trying to be productive. I started painting and eventually start taking off, you know, like people like I stopped posting my Facebook and stuff just for fun. And friends started liking it. And they were like, sell me this one, sell me that one. I was like, people don't want to buy these. I'm like, they're crazy. And then I started taking it a little bit more serious. And I did like one gallery show and I sold out the first time. I was like, Oh my God. I was like so excited. I was like, I found my calling, I guess. This is it. But, you know, but also there's always that, I call it the animal, you know, the, I always call like the physical body or physical instincts as the animal instincts, you know, it's just, uh, it's, so I, I was like, Oh, this is great. And I was trying to think of like all the schemes I could do. You know, my mind automatically went goes there, you know, always sees that angle, you know, <laughs> like, ah, can I do this? You know, get around this or get around that. I was like, but then I was like, I had to make a choice. I was like, one thing you should do, honestly, is this. Like, you always ask for your calling because I always felt like there was something like I had to do specifically. Like, I was like, you know, like, and I tried a lot of things. I was like, this is not me. You know what I mean? I could see the end of this. You know, there was like, everything had a limit. You know, like I want to be a bar owner. I'm like, I'll own a bar. Okay, I'll own 10 bars. I could own 100 bars, but like, it's it's limited. It's right there. There's no, like with art, it just keeps on coming. You know, it's like coming out of the side of me. And I'm like surprised at it. You know what I mean? It's 
always a surprise what's going to come out. I don't know what's going to come out. So it's like when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, you're like a little kid. You're like, I wonder what's going to come out of me, you know, when I think or, you know, or what emotions I'm suffering. You know, sometimes it scares me. Sometimes really dark things come out. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I have to take a break in between. I'm like, so those things. And the scariest part of that is, in a way, is that then you show it to the public, you know, like. I think it's like basically being stripped naked and you walk down the street, you know, but like deep, deep. And so like, to me, I'm always scared. Like somebody's going to figure out the clue and all of it is going to like break in together and they're going to figure me out, you know, like, they're gonna be like, Oh my God. Like all oh my doctors, happy toes, bad, you know, like I'm like so paranoid about that. Uh, but yeah, that's like to me, because sometimes I figured them out myself later. Like, you know, I'll paint. I have no idea where I painted, you know, like I'll have it. And then a month later, two months later, I see totally a different thing in it. I'm like, oh my God, how can I see this? Then like a name pops up to me, what the painting should be named. You know, like it took that long because it was just coming out, you know, and then you got to, you know, it's like you got to figure out later what's going on with it. So do you feel like uh, what I basically heard you say was, by the way, I wrote down something that you said, you wrote down the beauty. I mean, I wrote down, you said the beauty of the pain of suffering. And I just absolutely love that. I don't know why I love it. Like the the way that I'm hearing you say it. Um, Also, I think because you're an artist and I can see some of that suffering in your artwork, which by the way, my house is also full of Genghis's artwork. Um, so yes, people do, do buy it and enjoy it. And I see so many different things in it, you know, and I don't see the same things that you see in it. Uh, and that's the beauty of art. That's so the, I, yeah. I heard you say like finding your purpose without saying those words. So do you feel like, like art is your purpose and, and how does that, how does that work as far as your connection to spirit? Do you feel like this artistry is your connection to source, to God? Oh, most definitely, I think, in my, because it came out of nowhere. It's not like, when I was 34 years old when I started, and I just started sculpting recently, and my, you know, it's just like, I keep on discovering. It's not ending, you know what I mean? It's, uh, that's the beauty, and I'm like, there's so much still I want to try, and like, there's never enough time, you know? Once I get in my zone of, like, painting and sculpting, I get into the zone of, creativity like anything i see on the street when i walk down i could make something out of this from this you know or you know and it's so funny when i was a kid my mom used to always call me um like a beggar you know (laughs) because every time i would walk down the street i would look on the street on the ground to find something but i could do something with this you know like i always i i prefer like creating something from like old or pre-existing things making something or from blank too. So like my sculptings, I do wood sculptings and I get them like all rotten trees. And then I like look at the shape that nature gave already. Like it looks like a, a figure, a woman's figure or whatever. Then I just bring those out. So I try to work around things, you know, like trying to bring out the beauty that's na- naturally there already. So yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about your technique with painting? Because I find it really fascinating. How do you paint? Um, 
Well, I gotta do a bunch of stuff first, and <laughs> <nah>. <laughs> but I usually end, I paint like at least uh, four or five paintings at a time. And in my studio, well, I'm in New York now visiting. I, I don't live in New York, uh, so this is uh, an apartment that family member had gave me for the uh, for the summer, and so there's not a lot of space. And she's probably gonna kill me because I ruined her walls. Uh, but uh, with your hands, right? You don't. Yes, you I paint brushes? with my hands. So originally started painting with my hands because, um, well, when I first started painting, I was using a uh, brush, and then I was like, I should use like palette knife because I bango was one of my even before I started painting or anything. I never had interest in paint or anything, even though my uncle was an artist. I was like, no, because I was like, there's no money in this, you know, like I was so money oriented. I was like, well, there's money in it, but the odds of you making money out of it, it was impossible. And my uncle was like one of the most amazing painters ever, like detailed to it, you know, like he would paint the bones, then the meat, then the skin of a person. Like that's how he starts like painting to that level where meticulousness. Uh, so what he did was, oh, so what was I talking about? Oh, the painting. <laughs> painting with your hands, painting with the... Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah. I was using the palette. And, and then I started, you know, I couldn't use the because I was drinking so heavily at that time. My hands were shaking. I could not keep them still. So I would, like, try to paint, you know, holding on to my hands, but I couldn't do it, you know. And I was like, okay, I need... So I was like, I'm going to do it with my fingers, you know. And then I started doing it with my fingers, and it felt actually more like sculpting the paint into the canvas, you know? And it's such a direct connection. And I tried to relate my paints to each other too. So like, if I use like this paint, if I paint it on one painting and then I'll try to use from that paint, like say a little bit of it on the next canvas. So they like kind of related, you know? I feel like they're all... You know, we're done around the same time. So it's like four brothers or five brothers or sisters, you know. So I try to do that. But I like to paint with my hands. Yeah, I only use uh, my fingers. I have like a whole technique of it where, I mean, with the paint, I like to dry the paint out a little bit. I use oils. And I try to dry them out so they're a little bit harder to put on. So it's like it has a more texture. To it. So tell me a little bit more about um, the spiritual awakening process and the integration of it. Like, what do you think have been some of your greatest tools or some of your greatest teachers? Like what kind of teachings have you found that have really helped you in settling into the idea of real reality versus this reality? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, in Sufism, there's a famous saying, there's a famous uh, Sufi master and a philosopher. He says that his name is Yunus Emre and he's, he was around 13th century. And he says, you know, this world is a lie, like as it's all our dreams. And Rumi said it too, uh, as well. So in Sufism part, I had a Sufi teacher who was an amazing man. May he rest in peace. Uh, Lovers never die. That's what they say in Sufism. Uh, he was in Izmir, Turkey, and he was like the most humble, most gentle soul ever. And he gave me this name when I was when I became a dervish. Uh, Start following 
He gave me a, you know, when you become a dervish, they give you a name, like a religious name, Sufi name. And my Sufi name is Mahir, which is um, skillful. And, you know, he was like, you're going to be a very good with your hand when I was 13 years old. I was like, oh, man. I was like, does he want me to do construction? Like, like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, don't tell me that's my calling. You know, he's like, you're going to work with your hands when you get up. You know, that's going to, that's your calling. You're going to work with your hands. I was like, ah, you know. And, you know, it's so funny how it works out in the end, you know. And I saw you. But he was my main teacher and I, you know, he will have uh, speeches and then there, um, he will have chuffets, they call them, where everybody would gather and listen. I would listen to those. And then there was another uh, Sufi master who moved to America. He came to America in 1979 or 80. And he, he became a very big Sufi movement in New York. And there's a Dia Foundation, I think, after uh, from the Sufis there. Honest. So he, Muzaffer Ozak, he was one of my, you know, it's interesting how you pick your uh, teachers, you know, in a way. I had this amazing teacher. I'm so scared of my alive uh, uh, Sufi master, right? I was so afraid of him. Like, just, not I was like, he sees me, you know, he sees everything about me, you know? He sees through me, you know? And I'm like, so, you know, you feel ashamed. And I fell in love with the other one, my other Meshik master, but he passed away, unfortunately. But I fell in love with him. Like, I'm in love with him till today. Like, I see I, I see his face. I see his speeches. Like, I listen to... You can find a lot of his uh, talks on YouTube. And there's some translated ones. And just listening to his voice, you know, I'm, like, so excited. But that on the Sufi part, that was, like, you know, those are my hardcore, like, uh, foundation. But as once I got sober, I started painting and I started trying, you know, I was just so hungry for knowledge. You know, I was always hungry for knowledge. I love history. I love politics a bit. But then I was like more concentrated. I mean, I studied religious, although I would love theology for a long time. But this was different. I was like, you know, I was looking for stuff that not ordinary people know about. You know what I mean? In, in every religion, in it, in every aspect spiritual or historically how people lived in the past, like the, you know, Egyptians or anybody where, you know, there was like the priest class, there was this, um, you know, ruling class of soldiers. And, but like the mentality was there. We look back now, we're like, Oh, whatever, you know, like, Oh, they, but they eventually corrupted, but there was a structure to that at the beginning. There was honesty and there was fear of, you know, they say fear of God, you know, people afraid of God, like he's vengeful. It's not that it's like, you know, when you meet him, how he's going to greet you. God's going to greet you with open arms no matter what. But I think like, I just want him to be like a little bit extra for me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, but I'm a big fan of Manly, Manly P. Hall. And I know it sounds funny name, but he is one of my favorite students, historians, just overall everything. And, it was like a biggest discovery of my life because once I discovered that, because I felt he has so many speeches. He's been like lectures and lectures, 
there's a library of Alexandria, if you can look it up on YouTube, of his channel. There's categories from everything you need to know. I like it's treasure chest, you know. So I'm like so excited. Like that that's another thing. Like when I paint, I try to put that on. Or I listen to Sufi stuff at lectures as well. And so that helps me a lot. Like that opened up a lot of uh past because I had it in me always. You know, I was like a Sufi when I was younger, I was a kid. But I'm purposely trying to shut it down, you know, because I was so vengeful, you know, I was angry, you know, mad at the world. Yeah. All right. So do you have any, there's a couple of things that I think that maybe anybody who's listening, like there's anybody who is maybe experiencing a struggle with addiction. Do you have any sort of advice or guidance for somebody maybe in that path right now? Hmm. Well, it's very, I think it's different for each person in reality, but, and accepting God scares people away first for any addict. So that's like the biggest thing I think, because everybody has a different understanding of God, you know, and some people take it to extreme. They do try to shove it down your throat in a different way where you're like, it's an unhealthy way, but he, you know, there's, it's such a tricky thing. To be honest, I think addicts, that's why I think in like AA or NA, they usually, you got to accept the power that's greater than you. Because once you have that, I think that kind of scares your ego. Like to me, when I went through, when I was doing IB game, you know, my my ego got to me to a level where I was like, I'm invincible. Nobody could touch me. But, but you know, like in my head, you know, it's just false, uh, what do you call, uh, promises. You give me that full promise. I said, uh, I forgot the word, but excuse me. You could edit this part. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I experienced the same thing, you know, like, uh, everything in my outer world said, you have nothing. You are no one. Like you yeah. are really, really at the end of the road, but yeah, like this addict version of me or like the way that my ego and my addiction were wrapped up in each other made me think that like, I was the coolest. There was nobody better than me. I ruled the world when everything in my outer world was showing the exact opposite. And yeah, you know, like I, I do think that, um, at a certain point at the bottom of rock bottom, spirituality is waiting, um, so yeah, and I also think maybe you might might have some like words of wisdom if somebody is interested in pursuing art with their life. It really seems like you have really dug in to your creativity, and um, I think that's probably kind of scary for a lot of people to let go and just really accept themselves as artists. Do you have any any tips or any words for? I have a great advice to any addict who gets clean. I'll tell you one thing. All the things we've done in life as addicts to get money or to get the drugs, to, to get the money, to get the drugs or whatever. We're our superheroes, really. The stuff I have done in my life. I mean, that was my encouragement in general. I was like, you know, I picked a career like now as an artist. You know, it's like one of the hardest things to try to get it, to make it in, you know, especially nowadays in the crazier world, a digital world too, where, you know, uh, NFTs are selling. So, you know what I mean? So what I'm trying to say is so being like 
so driven to get drugs and money and money for the drugs. I was like, if you put like 10% of that to anything in your life, you're unstoppable. Like literally you are unstoppable. It's just that, but like, I, I think that comes with strong faith in God in a way, you know, you have to, you have to have a good foundation. So without a good foundation, you know, like a lot of people are codependent in relationships, let's say, as soon as they get sober, they go get a boyfriend or, you know, or a girlfriend or whatever. It depends. You know what I mean? So they're just like, just jumping back to the same routine, you know? And they say when you're an addict, like, oh, you moving places is nothing. You know, the problem is you. Sometimes it helps. Like I was in a small town in Alaska. For me, it was an issue because as soon as I walked out of my house, it was like, there was only five places to go. You know what I mean? And one of them was the store. The rest was bars that I would usually go to, you know? So, and my friends work there. My friends go there. Everybody you know in town is there. So it's like part of the community. It's just, I also had no self-control, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, so it happens. You go into that part. But uh, for people to, who want, so to me, I think anything you pick, if you're, especially if you're like recovering addict, anything you touch, if you literally just put it the same drive that you had for uh drugs and alcohol or whatever you you are like a superhero uh art if you want to get into i think you should just start man you know just you gotta do it from the heart you can't do it from like oh this was so, like unfortunately i could do a lot of flowers and you know and things that you know some of my stuff is really scary but so most people buy it too because they feel they see something inside of it that they, they, you know, connect them, you know, I, every, you know, my work is mainly, it's not just decorative, mostly very emotional. And yeah, I think that's really beautiful to be able to take your emotions and pour them into a creative act. And I think that, you know, as spiritual beings on this path, we all find these different ways to contribute to society and um, in a spiritual way, you know, like I feel like you were talking about kind of being like naked and just like throwing yourself out there and being like really raw and authentic. And I think that we all have our own ways of doing that. And I thank you for your courage and your bravery to, to share yourself um, through your art and through this episode. And um, as we wind down, I just want to see if there's anything else that you'd like to share to feel more complete about our time together today. No, thank you. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed it. Uh, maybe we could talk more about it another time. Maybe we could do this again because... I'm kind of shy. I'm very uh, not as open as you are with my spirituality, and you know, I'll try. I try keep it on the low. Uh, I think you did great. I'm so grateful that you came out here and you talked about the journey. You know, like because it's so different for each of us, and it's so cool how different it is. And oh we'll yeah, kind of get to that same space of um, understanding, and I love that. You know, like you just exposed me to Manly P. Hall and, and I started listening to it and I was like, wow, this this dude, yeah, he's got it. Like he's got the inside track. And I think that's really the purpose of doing podcasts like this is to exchange information. With oh, them. yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for you. And thank you so much for being here. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Tommy. Bye.